This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and here I am with my choiciest of choicy career hosts, Jon. Hello, Jon. Thank you very much for that dubious honor, and the dubiousness comes from the fact that he has a choice of one. <laughs> it's still a choice. I can choose not to choose, maybe. I'm not talking about global thermonuclear war here, man. Come on. Uh, the only winning game is not to play. The winning move is not to play. Anyway. Well, actually, actually, is that is that good advice for your career? Is the only good career one you don't play? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. But in this particular case, uh, we're now talking a little bit more, getting a little bit more personal now. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the reasons, you know, why we have made sort of career changes in the past and hopefully you can learn from some of the uh, hopefully good choices maybe <laughs> bad choices stay tuned for more to find out uh, and uh, understand you know how let's t let's say two industry veterans that's a nice way a polite way of putting it um i would have felt old thank you very much have made <laughs> changes in their careers so far and could you say that since you're making a new choice, your old choice by definition was a bad choice? I don't think so. At least not uh, not in my mind. I always think that the the choices I made, the careers that I've had, the the things that I've done help shape me for the next adventure that I want to take. Like if you didn't have those experiences, you wouldn't have that knowledge, and maybe you wouldn't be ready for that next move. It's called a career path for a reason. One step mm -hmm. after the other. Indeed. So anyway, why did we change parts in the past? You want to go first or do I go first? And do we go this chronologically from the early, early days or do we just pick and choose stuff? I, I think I think we go chronologically from the early, early days. Uh, and I've already, I think I've already mentioned the, the my first sort of uh, shift uh, once at least. Uh, at least once here but just to quickly sort of go over it because it's not as I suppose it, it's interesting from a perspective of this is a point where I made a fairly large uh, shift in my career direction so I spent uh, over 10 years over a decade at Rolls-Royce military aero engines uh, in it started off in very much an engineering role. I don't mean that engineering as in software engineering. I mean real engineering, as in mechanical engineering. Dirty hand so, stuff. Yeah, like thermodynamics um, and computational fluid dynamics and engine simulation and engine testing. All of that sort of stuff was within my world and within my remit. Now, throughout my time uh, in that, um, uh, under that employer, I found myself finding the actual pure engineering less interesting and the technology that I was using to, to kind of carry out my role far more interesting. And this was the early days of Jan's favorite topic coming up, silicon graphics um, and all sorts of fun Unix stuff, AIX. Um, I was still, you know, early days. I was doing a lot of mainframe stuff. Latter, latter days, I was doing a lot of a lot of Solaris, a lot of HPUX, and this was also the the role that gave me the first chance to really, you know, play around with uh, using Linux in production. 
um, you know, spinning up early websites, uh, DNS servers, a whole bunch of other su supporting sort of uh, services. Um, and this was very early days, you know, Slackware, later on, very early Red Hat, before Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Um, and, you know, this was the, the role, this was, uh, this was the organization that gave me a chance to actually pivot from um, my engineering focus into my IT focus. So I, I happen to have sort of qualifications in both uh, mechanical engineering and in computer science because I sort of fin finished my engineering uh, time at university uh, while I was working full time. I was doing uh, university part time. And I sort of said, hey, you wouldn't, uh, how do you fancy me uh, learning more about this computer stuff? And uh, they said, yeah, sure, that's fine. And so I ended up sort of doing basically, um, you know, two sets of degrees <laughs> part time while working full time, which is definitely not something I would recommend. Like, very, very hard work. But again, it, it sort of, it got me to the, to the, the place that I am today. So I look, I look back on my time there very fondly, possibly with somewhat rose-tinted glasses at times. Um, but That's a good thing. I think so. And you know, this was also the time where this was pre-internet or certainly oh. pre-internet being widespread at least. Um, you know, the very towards my sort of the, the tail end of my, my time there, there was, you know, one machine in a, office that was internet connected and then you know various people's machines were internet connected and then by the time I left you know everyone had a web browser on their desk and you know the the world had changed forever but that was that was sort of the first sort of career change within an organization and then I I sort of I knew at that point that my IT slash technology career would only go so far if I stayed there. Mm. Um, and I knew that I wanted more than what that would allow. So that was the, that was the reason that I, I moved at that point. At that point, I'd, I'd sort of gained quite a lot of experience around uh, deploying kind of fairly sizable infrastructure and architecture on Linux. Um, I'd spent a decent amount of time sort of understanding how organizations consumed open source technologies uh, at scale. And, you know, that was when I moved from uh, Rolls-Royce to uh, an organization that was called the Defense, um, Defense and European Research Agency, uh, which then later rebranded into the terribly named Kinetic, um, spelled with two Qs, don't ask. Um, and that was the sort of the first shift for me. And that was sort of going into, uh, I knew I wanted to be more specialized. I knew I wanted to be purely focused on, on the technology. And so, you know, that was, that was an organization that I felt I could see my career grow in that direction. And I guess stay tuned to see if that's what really happened. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, how about you, Jan? Uh, I'm going to start by saying that my career path was very fortunate. So I'm not entirely sure how many, much people can learn from me because having a hat as much luck as I have had, or at least that's how it seems, uh, is rare, I think. But 
that be, I'm gonna you'll figure out why I consider myself mm-hmm. lucky at the end. That I got a degree in software development and analytics, and the first job I got, I got by accident. Because basically, and this is now maybe a bit going off topic, but we still had a military service in Belgium at that day, in those days. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole complicated thing of you could get an extension or uh, to not go. And then if you didn't, if you did get your first exams done, you didn't have to do the, the, the second chance. So you could pull that uh, extension out again. So you got drafted blah, and whatever. Long story short, I thought I still had like six months of, or at least um, almost a year of military service. So I wasn't looking at all. And then suddenly the law changed. There was no conscription anymore. Hmm. Uh, the C word. <laughs> <laughs> and by pure coincidence, one of my schoolmates had a job lined up for some reasons I'm going into. He couldn't do it. And he asked, do you want this? And I said, sure, why not? <laughs> and I started working. <laughs> well, also funnily enough, this was the only job I ever did that was a development job. Because, mm. uh, I mean, as a freshly certified programmer, I actually have done very little programming professionally in my life. And this first job was actually the only one. And that was indeed based in the times pre-internet, or as I called it, uh, email net, because you could do a lot with email. <laughs> and especially had an ISP that allowed you to do cron jobs on their servers. It, they actually gave me a cease and desist letter before they existed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, that job was basically all of uh, development, but development in a very weird way, because yeah, programming languages were very, very, very uh, limited those days. It wasn't COBOL, which I was actually sad about, because I liked COBOL a lot. It was one of my best subjects in school. I actually scored higher than the maximum score for uh, my, uh, what do you call that, end project uh, in, in COBOL. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was all internal uh, development and stuff like that. And it was kind of fun. It scratched the itch, but there was very little innovation happening. It was more automating business processes. And yeah, it was kind of fun. I mean, it gave me my first experience in how to be in a job, which is good. But people kind of noticed I was bored very quickly. So within the same company, at a certain point, a position opened up in the support uh, department, uh, after sales, support, telephone support. And the position opened up because one of the people there got a nervous breakdown from all the stress. And the boss there kind of asked my then boss, hey, that, that, that young guy, he's, he's goofing off all the time. He's not doing anything anyway. Can I have him? <laughs> <laughs> And that's how I ended up in support. As I said, lucky because that support mm. job was again a very nice stepping stone because, and you mentioned already, we actually use Silicon Graphics uh, mini computers to do the stuff at, at our customers there. And I got yeah, my hands dirty repairing, maintaining, knowing those machines very, very, very well. Well, like two of us in the whole company, it was a pretty large company. And look, look, look up on LinkedIn if you want to know the company name. I'm not going to name any companies here. <laughs> but uh, that was very, very new technology. That was really cutting edge. Nobody could do what Silicon Graphics could do those days. It was amazing. Those machines, I had systems on my desktop that were worth more than the house I was living in. Just to give you an idea. And that was a lot of fun also. And this is where I earlier already iterated 
make sure you're interested in your job. Make sure you don't just do the job, but learn from the job also outside of the job. So instead of just doing a support part, which was basically software support for a software package, I got deep on the hardware and I, as you said, learned how to do email servers and DNS servers and setting up very complicated email networking to download the internet at night so I could read it up in the morning. <laughs> um, and yeah, when that kind of worked out-ish, the, the problem there was the company didn't really have any kind of, how do you call that? They had a vision for the future for their products, but not their people. They weren't really mm -hmm. interested in the career. It's more like uh, spots need to be filled, spot is filled, we forget about the spot. And as I already mentioned that I get bored relatively quickly, you need to kind of feed this monkey or it starts throwing away, throwing species around. Um, <laughs> basically, at a certain point, Silicon Graphics contacted me because well, I got I talked to those people a lot because as the hardware broke down, they were the ones I communicated with to get it fixed, to get the spare parts and things like that. And apparently, the way I talked about the, the, the hardware was interesting enough that they reached out at a certain point to see if I wanted to join them. Mm. And that was basically the second biggest jump in my career up until that point, because I kind of went from telephone support, isolated, nobody sees me, I got a phone, I'm anonymous, I can just drop the phone down if I don't want to work. Well, can't do that, but still, it's <laughs> much more detached. Mm. The next job was much more customers facing. But uh, I'm going to leave my cliffhanger here and go back to you. What did Dave do next? Fair enough. So I, I then spent um, nearly five years, and you'll you'll start to notice a recurring pattern here, uh, at uh, the uh, Defence European, European Research Agency, or DERA, and uh, or as it's later became rebranded, Kinetic really doing, uh, I guess, a bunch of different things. I was building, I was very, very heavily into into the, the open source ecosystem at this point. A lot of Red Hat based technologies, so a lot of Red Hat Enterprise Linux, you know, I think at this point, uh, we, we are sort of rolling off of 2.1 and into kind of RHEL 3, RHEL 4 sort of timelines. And, you know, deploying some pretty large architectures and infrastructures for customers of this organization and yeah this was I was sort of largely responsible for a lot of the infrastructure deployments um, everything from sort of hardware was generally racked and stacked by other people and cabled by other people but you know from that point onwards I would essentially take ownership and get everything deployed and built and away we went and other people were responsible for then deploying apps on top of it. And that was, I did a lot of different kind of pretty exciting things, some public sector, um, so government type stuff, um, some sort of security services, some, uh, stuff for public organizations, uh, some stuff very well-known, very large organizations, some stuff for very secret squirrel type organizations, but a lot of fun uh, nonetheless. And the, the sort of, the thing that I found here was that this was something where I was starting to transition from sort of just doing these things. Um, you know, I, I suppose I was technically uh 
technically sort of a vendor in some cases, but not really. I didn't, I didn't really feel like I was on the vendor side. I just felt like I was building stuff. But uh, we had a particularly large project. It was probably the largest one that I did there, and it was also the last one that I did there. I promise there's no correlation between those two things. Um, but it was a project where we needed some external consultancy in. And I did, uh, you know, did the usual thing of, oh, I can't, uh, you know, there's the, like the timeline that you want this done. There's no way that this is, uh, is going to line up unless we get some external sort of uh, folks in. There's just not enough hours in the day or people to get this stuff done. So, you know, the project owner was like, okay, sure, fine. We'll get some, get some consulting in. And uh, so I you know, contacted uh, Red Hat. And got them in for uh, a few, probably a few weeks of consulting. It wasn't a, sort of a, a huge amount, but a couple of people over a few weeks, uh, maybe a month or so at max. And uh, really, I sort of got to know uh, the people uh, that were doing this. And for some reason, and again, this is, I think you and I both have similar points of uh, feeling that we've been quite lucky through our careers um, through a, a variety of different reasons. But I, I met two people that uh, I think were quite influential uh, in my career. I met one person who was like the head of uh, professional services who just so happened to not live all that far away. And I also happened to meet the head of, uh, or at least one of the very senior kind of pre-sales folks um, who worked primarily with like large-scale tier one financial services and banks. He didn't really do very much outside that, but this sounded a bit interesting and fun, so we thought he'd head along and have a little poke at it. And, uh, and you know, got to know them both, uh, had some some compliments from what I'd, you know, the stuff that I, the work that I'd done so far from them both. And they both basically said, well, you know, you should probably think about uh, coming and work at Red Hat. It, uh, I think you'd do well there. And I sort of didn't know, like I was obviously excited to to do that. Red Hat was sort of at that point, I wouldn't say an unknown company, but they were still very much in their very early stages. Yeah, they were still sort of very much growing. They'd they'd pivoted out of being a t-shirt and CD company, but they were still in the very early days of kind of enterprise uh, adoption. And it was a pretty exciting sort of brand to think that I might be part of something again that was more well known in the in the IT industry and obviously very well known in the open source industry so I uh, I wrapped up the project that or my my side of the project that I was working on and uh, I took a role on the consulting side of things at Red Hat and I sort of made that jump uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the reasons why I made that jump up next. But now we switch timelines once more. Back to the timeline of Yon, which is somewhat a couple of years. I'm not going to say hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when we left my little story, I was leaving my first employer after about seven years I spent there, I think. So that wasn't a short amount of time. Mm. And basically the reasons for me to move to Silicon Graphs were twofold. First one was to move away from software into hardware because mm -hmm. uh, Silicon Graphics high performance computing hardware, HPC hardware, 
that was some really sexy stuff. So that was really world breaking, record breaking at the time. So that was definitely a move forward on the technology part. On the personal level, and this is not just looking, looking backwards, that was a conscious decision because this was, a, some, this was almost the reason I didn't go there, was to move away from the phone support and into the field support. The disadvantage mm -hmm. there was I was doing phone support worldwide. So a lot of languages, I learned Italian, German, which I have not totally forgotten, still know the other languages. As silicon graphics was purely a Benelux job. So basically mm -hmm. Belgium, Luxembourg, Netherlands. So smaller, but much more direct contact. And um, personally, I'm not the most social person. I mean, I enjoy talking to people, not a problem, I'm not afraid of people, but you won't find me at the disco or big conferences or well, conferences, if they're interesting, I'll be there. But I enjoy small crowds. I mm. don't really look, uh, look for personal interactions, let's say, unless I really have to. And if you take a job as a field support engineer, then you kind of have to do a lot of interaction with customers, personal interaction. And that was something I was kind of scared of because I was mm. first as a developer, nicely in my little cubicle, nobody, nobody saw me. And then as phone support, I was the, had the anonymity of the phone. And that was going to be a job way in, uh, in the face of it. But that's also the reason why I changed the job, right? To, to get more skills, to go up the ladder, as you talked last time. But then the ladder goes sideways as well. And basically, it was a good choice, I think, because I stayed at Elastic, sorry, at um, Silicon Graphics for 13 and a bit years. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I actually left is because the company went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do that. <laughs> but Beyond despite of the big me, red button. <laughs> <laughs> but in those 13 years, I kind of did a lot of stuff. Uh, I always kept it support, always in the, 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 pre, the, the post sales support stuff. But I also created their education department for Belgium, creating, uh, stealing manuals from the US and creating courses around it and also in the logistics around it. Also trying to trying my hand at organizing mini, mini conferences. But again, you have to have a venue, the systems need to go mm -hmm. there and trust me, those mini computers, they ain't, uh, they're heavy. There's a lot of mm -hmm. poundage to, 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 to run and cables to run and stuff like that. So making all that stuff work as well, that was very successful. Um, and did a little bit of professional services. So I'm never going to say I was in pre-sales there because I was hugely afraid and hugely in awe of those pre-sales magic wielding people who mm -hmm. I would never be smart enough to do that. Hmm. One thing that I, well, the main reason I stayed there for 13 years is because that was the first time I, this was not my first manager. I mean, at the previous company, I had a couple of roles. I had like two or three managers there, but this was the first time I had a manager that was actually a good manager. A person that was interested in the person, tried to develop them. And Patrick, I'm sure you're not listening to this, but if you are, thank you so much. Mm. Because that really, when I left that company, I cried simply because of the people I was leaving behind. Mm. So that was really a very emotional time. But that kind of, yeah, started forming. And I know Patrick, he, he always tried to push me towards pre-sales. And I always said, no, I'm not smart enough for that. And well, after 13 years, uh, Silicon Graphics kind of wrapped up and I kind of had to move somewhere else. And that was a difficult, po a difficult point in my career, mm. let's say. But uh, let's, let's wait for that one. Indeed. All right. So we'll pick up the story again on my side. Uh, so I, I decided that I really liked the idea of moving into a pre-sales role. I thought that that would be probably where I would be best suited and where I would, would enjoy the most. 
But I didn't want to move straight into pre-sales. I wanted to spend a time in consulting, like deploying the stuff that I would then hopefully be successfully like helping people to sell and working with customers and prospects. So I I joined Red Hat, um, you know, just post IPO, kind of really early days, and I I joined the services side of the organization. Uh, for, and for about a year and a half, I did a whole bunch of uh, consulting various random places around the planet and had a huge amount of fun. Uh, it was it was an absolute kind of whirlwind of kind of various different projects that were going on, various different technologies that I was deploying, you know, a huge variety of different customers that I was working with. And it was it was just a really exciting time. The team was excellent. The tech was very cool. Like we were, you know, this was going through also the same sort of uh, timeline as, you know, global financial crisis, for example. And all of a sudden there was this massive influx of large scale organizations that had been very happy using proprietary Unix for many years. And all of a sudden saw their budgets slashed, saw their, um, you know, their situation changing very drastically. And the, some of these were organizations that Red Hat had been trying to really get significant business for, you know, several years. And all of a sudden they were calling us. They wanted to, to hear from us. They wanted to understand how they could cut costs, deliver the same or better services. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the sort of, the, this was the very, very peak of the sort of proprietary Unix versus open source Linux-based um, wars, if you like, and you know that was also around the time that I moved from the the consulting world into the the pre-sales world, and again had a had a fantastic time you know through that as well, and really just had a lot of uh, a lot of fun, a lot of changes through Red Hat as an organisation. I definitely saw it grow and evolve um, very, very rapidly. And there was there was also sort of a shift in the organization as well as it as it grew and matured. Um, it was you know in the hundreds of people uh, when I started, low, very low hundreds, and it was in the you know many thousands by the time I, I left, or certainly several thousand by the time I left. And that was quite a a quite a significant culture shift. And I I do think that the the early days that I was there versus sort of the tail end of where I was there, I sort of started to see the organization not necessarily slow down in terms of growth or in numbers. If you go and look at their financials, Red Hat is still a massively successful organization. But I I sort of felt after again nearly five years or around about the five-year mark that I possibly wanted to go and kind of lean into something else. Um, and I think that it was just sort of something that I thought, I think I can do something else. There's a lot of other organizations doing something cool and interesting out there. And there's this thing called cloud that people keep talking about. It'll that, never take off. Well, I think it might do, but we're we're still we're still waiting to see. Um, and so I I couldn't see a really good path. 
um, for Red Hat and Cloud to really kind of gel together. They had a you know very strong on-prem presence, but really Cloud in that day was, or in those days was just like AWS was pretty much all there was. It was very early days of, of Amazon Web Services. And really Red Hat was mostly just ignoring cloud as it was and i thought that there was something perhaps into this i also just fancied a change after nearly five years and so i did decide to make a change i uh, a, a few people that i knew had moved on to other pastures greener over the years that i'd been with red hat and i'd followed their careers and stayed in touch and sure enough um after a few of them pestering me a couple of times, I eventually relented and said, okay, I'll have a chat. And uh, after a few conversations, possibly over one or two drinks, I decided that, yes, this actually sounded like a pretty exciting opportunity. And uh, I guess stay tuned next to hear uh, what that ended up being. Ah, keep dropping those cliffhangers. <laughs> We should do that a lot more often, see if it works. It works for TV. I don't know. Indeed. Anyway, where was I? Um, oh, yeah, just quickly responding to you that that's the size of the company really makes a big difference as well, indeed. Because uh, my first job was at a big company, like hundreds and hundreds of people there, both in manufacturing, software development, and support. And my silicon graphics job, basically, that was a group of, I think, it was like 12 people, the whole company. I mean, the whole mm. Benelux entity, let's say. And that's also what gave me the possibility to do the, the, the education stuff and all the rest of the stuff I did there. Just There were only so many hats, so a lot of hats had to be worn by the same people. Actually, just, just before you go mm -hmm. that, like funny, funny sort of like weird fact. I think I've been going to smaller and smaller companies like each time I've changed. <laughs> and not, not intentionally, but I think Rolls-Royce was probably around somewhere between like 24 and I think it was, I think it was around about 24,000 people, um, in Rolls Royce globally when I first, when, or when I left, I think kinetic was in the 10 to 12,000 people. I think red hat was around the 2000 people. Um, the next company, because I'm not going to spoil the name because there's a cliffhanger, if you remember, was around um, 350 and it grew up to about 500 or 450, 500 people. Uh, the company after that was probably down in the 250 to 300 people, did end up being like 3,000 people by the time I left. Um, but then, and then the organization that I joined, you know, most recently started, uh, I was like for within the first 50 people in the company. So if you continue this cycle, presumably the next person that the next company I join, it will either just be me or it will be me and the janitor. Um, so yeah, if, if you're a, or maybe if you are a janitor and you're looking for a, uh, you know, someone to co-work with you in a few years, maybe, maybe that'll be me. New startup, Janitor's Inks, run by Dave. <laughs> but yeah, like company numbers are strange. And for me, uh, there's definitely been a pattern. Yeah, for me, not so really. You'll see over time, I uh, kind of went up and down a bit. Although the the, the the critical group I worked in, 
did kind of get smaller and smaller. So I guess mm. that does may still gel a little bit there. Mm. But anyway, back to my tale of, sor of, or of sorrow, a tale of woe that I was looking for. Because at this point, uh, as I mentioned, Silicon Graph has kind of went bankrupt due to the uh, influx of Linux cap cap capabilities. Basically, they kind of mm. totally missed uh, out on that. Linux had their bread, their butter, their dinner, their lunch, their everything. And management kind of didn't pick up the pace. And uh, sadly, uh, I think the remnants of Silicon Graphics were eventually bought up by HP, I think. And that's about it now. Mm. But for me as a person, um, and I think I already mentioned this a little bit in the episode where we talked about uh, niche uh, career choices. That's when I had a problem. Because I was a pretty damn good expert on everything Silicon Graphics. So I was brilliant on something that no longer existed in the world. And that's a bit of a problem, because at that point, nobody wanted to hire me for my Silicon Graphics knowledge. And all my other knowledge was kind of, I'm not going to say tainted, but all in the glare of Silicon Graphics. So it's very hard to sell myself at that point. Also, I was working in a, in a very deep, high-performance computing company. And you might not be aware of that, but there are not that many of those around. And in those days, there were, there were like three. You had Sun, who was kind of um, HPC, Silicon mm. Graphics. Cray, but Cray had been bought by Silicon Graphics and sold off again. So all the good stuff was gone at that point. Cray, by the way, these days doing brilliantly, so I'm not saying anything there. But it was a very small um, opportunity uh, in, in, in the world. And my knowledge was kind of secondhand at that point. And I neglected to stay, to have to keep a, a broad enough basis to be able to make myself attractive to adjacent jobs, let's say. And that's basically where I... Go ahead. No, no, I was, I was just agreeing, yeah. yeah. And that's basically why I make a conscious choice to never do that again. So mm -hmm. I will always remain now a generalist. I will have my specializations within my generalism, but I will never say I am not now going to focus on this one thing because you don't know what's going to happen. Nobody predicted Silicon was going to go bankrupt. It happened. So... That's a, a conscious choice. And when I had uh, I had to search for another job, basically, because my company went away, so I had to uh, uh, search for another job, I kind of went back to my original um, origins and did, uh, answered a couple of, uh, did a couple of interviews for uh, developer jobs, web development, things like that. And uh, that was good. And they actually offered me jobs uh, in two places there, which I declined, because I also interviewed with a government entity a government uh, organization called uh, Surfsaram. If anybody Surfsaram is listening. Hi, guys. Um, and the reason I went there is because they allowed me to do very basic, broad, foundation-laying stuff. Because mm -hmm. basically, you mentioned already, uh, cloud was kind of happening at that time. And they mm -hmm. wanted to have a cloud for the um, scientific institutions in the Netherlands who didn't want to go to Amazon because of money or uh, privacy issues. Even in those days, the data sets were not always something you want to put on an American, American server. And they wanted to have something there. Now, they already had a lot of computing ap uh, apparatus there for things like the Human Genome Project, uh, the CERN Super Collider data was flowing in there. So I had a lot of this, a lot of HPC hardware. Silicon Graphics, by the way, sold some supercomputing stuff there as well. That's why I knew them already a little bit. But mm -hmm. I was not going to the HPC anymore. Again niches I try to avoid. But the cloud thing, sure, that's uh, that was something that's going to bloom up. I uh, kind of jokingly said earlier, that's never going to happen. Cloud, from day one, is kind of obvious that cloud was going to be huge, uh, looking at how Amazon was able to grow that market. 
So when I could do that, um, I kind of chose to do that. And uh, reflecting back on the ladder from last episode, I took a couple of steps down there. Because coming from an American commercial company to a Dutch uh, government company, uh, government organization, you can imagine salaries were far from equal. So that was um, a very difficult choice to make. Mm -hmm. But I'm very happy I did that. And uh, this is one of the things that I really want to emphasize upon. Doing that rebasing, that rebranding, that, that, that broader foundation back into my career path has, is still paying off at this point. Mm. And where my, my ladder, my salary ladder before uh, Sursara was kind of incrementally creeping up, since Sursara, my uh, ladder has been doing very, very well indeed. Mm-hmm. And that's mainly, I think, due to the fact that I, okay, this is going to sound so very blasé, but I can do anything. I've got so much basis now in uh, containerization, in HPC, in networking, in software, in hardware, in anything and everything. There's basically no job that I can interview for and say, we can't do anything with you. I can probably step in anywhere and be reasonably decent from day one. And that's something that I always, in my mentoring, tell my mentees as well, always make sure you keep that basis alive. Even if you do it outside of your uh, direct business, your direct job, make sure you keep that business alive to keep the opportunities alive. Because again, if you focus completely on the, on, the, on, the, uh, on the job itself, which is a good thing, it's not a bad thing. If you're doing a job, you should do the job well. But always keep in mind that broader picture of what's happening around the world, around you, both technically and soft skills to make sure that you keep that um, that uh, availability there. So anyway, I went to Sarsara. I rebuilt, I built, no, no, a little team built a cloud thing that actually worked very well with the presentations in the whole of Europe, of other other parts of uh, other scientific organizations in Europe, kind of taking the, the, the blueprint to do something similar. And then, of course, after virtualization, you had containeriz containerization happening. That was also something we added in there. And then, of course, we had that beautiful thing that's called the data explosion and all the big data technologies that came from that. And when the big data thing exploded, there was a huge war on talent. People were being uh, picked up everywhere. And at that point, my luck kind of came back to me because I was able to make a big step. And I think that was the biggest step I ever made in my, in my career. It's a very stressful time for me. Mm -hmm. I, still don't remember, I still don't know how I actually survived doing that, but uh, apparently I did. But what that was exactly, I think we're going to keep for the next time because we're kind of going very, very long here. So, unless you want to have any finishing talks for this one. Nope, I think we're done. Then that's all the time we have for today. We will continue this one in the next episode. And I think we'll finally we'll be able to finish that one in one more episode. Because I have like uh, three more employers left. Not sure where you're at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about that. Cool. If you want to hear the next parts of our cliffhangers, or what happens after the cliffhangers, then please support our podcast. Please become a patron. Contributions do help. If not, you may never find out. You never know. You can also go to YouTube. We have uh, videos up there. You can like, subscribe, hit notification bells, do YouTube stuff, make Dave happy. You can go to www.roaringelephant.org. There's links there to the Patreon page, the YouTube page, and a lot of other information about the podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter using the at roaringelephant tag. Emails you can still send to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Again, any feedback, comments, always welcome. Thank you very much. 
with that until next time my name is lucky lucky yon and my name is just lucky to know you dave and don't forget it and (laughs) we look forward to talking to you again next week goodbye see you then